0: Chapter 14, and welcome to week two of a series that we are calling Dangerous Prayers, where we're going to be walking through some pretty powerful biblical prayers. We're going to continue on next week and then take a break as we begin a new series and then kind of mix this series in through the rest of the year and um, just really lean into some pretty biblical yet powerful Prayers. And as we said last week, these prayers aren't easy prayers to pray. They're not safe prayers to pray. They're dangerous prayers to pray, yet in a, in a very good way. But I want you to just think about the way that we view danger. So for many of us, there's a very thin line between danger and stupid. So oftentimes there's a very, very thin line there. But just think about how you might view danger. Driving a motorcycle with no helmet or headlight on a two-lane highway through the mountains in a snowstorm might be considered dangerous for some, or stupid. Um, going to the circus and volunteering to be shot out of the cannon, um, that's dangerous. Um, riding in a car with a 15-year-old driver, that is dangerous. That is dangerous. And then, of course, asking a woman her age, that's just stupid. But, uh, or, or very, very dangerous. But think about this, but praying, isn't praying what sweet grandmothers are supposed to do? How in the world can we say that is dangerous? Isn't praying supposed to ensure our safety and our comfort? So how can we possibly, or what could we possibly mean when we say dangerous prayers? And I love the, the story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And In the book or in the movie, a conversation takes place between Susan and, and Lucy and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver in order for them to tell the girls about Aslan, the lion, who is the the Christ figure in the story. And the girls ask if Aslan is a man, um, or, or what is he? And Mr. Beaver replies, "'Aslan, a man?' "'Certainly not. "'I tell you, he is the king of the woods, "'the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. "'Don't you know who is the king of the beast? "'Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion.'" "'Oh,' said Susan,' I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Miss Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that last conversation or that that last sentence is just loaded. Just hear that again. We serve a king who is not safe, but he is good. And maybe you're saying, how dare you say Jesus isn't safe? But think about this. We're called to follow a man whose life ended on a cross, and yet we expect safety? We expect um, nothing but... But good, we expect all of those things to, to happen. When you and I pray, brothers and sisters, our prayers should be like God. They should be good, but they shouldn't be safe. And maybe even a little dangerous. And last week, we examined the first of our dangerous prayers in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And the prayer is, God, search me, know my heart, try me and know my anxieties, know my fears, know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And then God, lead me in the way everlasting. So what we said last week is we are praying a prayer asking the all-knowing one to reveal to us what he knows to be true of us. And then when he reveals what's true of us, we don't deny it. We don't act like that's not true. We um, place ourselves before him and trust him to do what comes next. Which leads us to today's prayer And today's prayer kind of really goes along with that. Once God has showed us what is in our hearts that doesn't need to be there, the grievous ways in our lives, then what do we do? Today we come to probably the most dangerous of all the dangerous prayers. I probably should have put this towards the last so that you would stay with us. But if there is a dangerous, the most dangerous of all prayers are prayed, it is this one. And I just want to warn you from the beginning. There's some in this room that you might not like, this prayer and maybe you won't even pray this prayer and maybe you think it's silly to even bring this up this is not a feel good prayer and this prayer definitely is not consistent with the god please give me my best life now christianity that so many people are grabbing a hold of although this prayer is is dangerous it has the potential for god to open up our lives and a way for him to bless us like never before. But it is not easy. For the prayer that we are dealing with involves two words, and those two words are this, break me. Break me. God, break me of my sin. Break me of my pride. Break me of my self-sufficiency. Break me of anything that is me, and fill me with you. And like I said, this is not an easy prayer. This is not a prayer that we want to pray in our flesh. But this is a prayer that we must pray. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at two different stories in the Bible today. Stories that are basically side by side in the Gospels. They're in the very same chapter of Mark chapter 14. So we're going to read them together. It's pretty much one story and then the the other right after it. So if you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to read verses 3 through 9 and then jump over and read verses 22 uh, through 24. So it begins this way, verse 3. And while he, meaning Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For burial, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And look at verse 22. And it says, As they were eating, he, meaning Jesus, took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. Come before, Lord, this very difficult subject, a subject, Lord, two words that our flesh hates. But yet two words, God, that we need like never before. We need you, Father, to break us that you may remake us. Lord, just show us today, God, things in our lives that shouldn't be there and break the hold of those things over us. Again, break us of our sin, break us of our pride, break us of our self-sufficiency. And help us to find ourselves at your feet. And we pray these things in Jesus' name name amen you may be seated so just think about this with me usually when something is broken its value either declines or its value disappears all together not many people value or even want broken things whether it be broken dishes whether it be broken mirrors broken bones nobody wants that or broken down cars when we think about those things all are generally either even either frowned upon, especially the broken bones thing, or they're discarded. We don't want broken things. We want to get rid of them. They're scrapped altogether. But let me say this. This isn't the way it is in the spiritual realm. In fact, God puts a premium on broken things. God sees value in broken things. We see it as a weakness. God sees it as a a way to get into us, a way to minister to us, to the heart of the matter. In fact, I love the words of J.R. Miller. He says this, "'Christ is building his kingdom with earth's broken things. Men want only the strong, the successful, the victorious, the unbroken in building their kingdoms. But God is the God of the unsuccessful, of those who have failed. Heaven is filling with earth broken lives.'" And there is no bruised reed that Christ cannot take and restore to glorious blessedness and beauty. He can take the life crushed by pain or sorrow and make it into a harp whose music shall be all praise. He can lift earth's saddest failure up to heaven's glory. This this is the picture of what our God can do. There is value and brokenness in the sight of our God. I want to unpack this morning with us three truths concerning brokenness in his sight that will lead us, I pray, to pray together, Lord, break me. So the first truth is this, hopefully pretty simple. We are all broken without Christ. We are all broken without Christ. So asking God to break us is kind of an ironic prayer. It's like asking an elephant to be big. Um, and gray, or asking the fox to be sneaky, or asking Brother Curtis to tell a joke. I mean, those things are natural. They're, they happen naturally. So the ironic thing is asking, the ironic of, of asking God to break us is that we're already broken without Christ. We're already broken people. Sin has broken us. Sin has blinded us. Sin has filled us with pride. Sin has filled us with self-sufficiency. Just think about the way most people are and how most people stand before a holy God. I read something this week that really just hit me, and uh, it went something like this. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. And we see that so often, yet we forget how broken we are without Christ and we don't just need to hear that we're broken you can't tell a broken person that they were meant to be made whole and they're just going to walk away in wholeness of of life let me just show you what that would be like in the kingdom the future kingdom age that we read about in scripture we are told that the wolf will lay down with the lamb so let me just give you a little project today go to the zoo and pay an ungodly amount of money to get in and then go to the enclosure, because it's no longer called a cage, because that's not politically correct, to call it a cage. So we go to the enclosure where the wolf is. So I want you to go and stand before the wolf, and I want you to begin to tell this wolf this biblical truth. In fact, get out your Bible and open it up to Isaiah eleven six and begin reading, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And then turn over to Isaiah 65, 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. And I want you to repeat that over and over and over again until you can look in the eyes of the wolf and see that he gets it. And then what I want you to do is I want you to take him out of his enclosure and carry him to the enclosure where the lamb is and put him in. And guess what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen, but it's probably not going to be good for the lamb. So it's probably not going to end well for Mr. Lamb. Lamb chops might be on the menu. Here's the reality. The wolf is not going to cooperate on the basis of a sermon or hearing truth. The wolf has to have a new nature. has to have a new nature in a similar yet greater way. It's not just enough for us to know that we're broken. Something must be done for us and something must be done in us. It's not just enough for us to know we're broken. Something must be done for us, and something must be done in us. And that reality comes into focus when we get to verses 22 through 24 of Mark 14. Jesus is sitting um, with his disciples having his last meal, and we read, or we are told, and you can see it on the screen, we're told he took the bread, and after blessing it, listen to this, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took the cup and said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Just follow with me here, brothers and sisters. In order for you and I to be made whole, Jesus had to be broken. In order for us to be whole, Jesus had to be broken. Something had to be done for us so that something could be done in us. And the the reality of what Christ has done for us can only be received by broken people with empty hands. If we come to God thinking we have our life together, we'll never see our need for what He can give us. And then if we come before God with our hands filled with things that we think we have to have, we will never be able to take from Him what He desires to give us. We have to come before Him broken people with empty hands. Hands. Yet you you want to know what still doesn't make a whole lot of sense? Asking God to break us. Still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yet you know what even makes less sense? A perfect and just God giving up his innocent son to be broken for us. That makes even less sense. So here's the question today. Why do you and I, why should we pray to God? God, break me. Why should we pray that? God, break me. Let me tell you why. Because it's the only rational response or only rational prayer of broken people to a Savior who has been broken for us. The only rational response of a broken people to a broken Savior is, Lord, break me. Break me. We are all broken apart from Christ. Something must be done for us so that it can be done in us. But the second truth is this. We are to be broken in the worship of Christ. So we are to be broken in the worship of Christ. Look back at the beginning now of of chapter 14 of the the Gospel of Mark. So the picture that we're given is that there is a party happening at the the home of a a former leper. The, The guy's name is... Uh, Given later on in in John, uh, Simon the leper, we get this picture of of this one who used to be a leper. Now he's been healed by Christ. Some people say that he's actually Simon is the father of Lazarus and uh, Martha and Mary. But there's a a conversation that's buzzing around this table. In John chapter 12, John tells us that this event happened um, after the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus had been raised from the dead and now in John 12 we read that at this event not only is a former leper there but so is a former dead person in Lazarus along with his sister Martha and then John 12 says it, it is their sister Mary who comes and pours out this perfume before Christ. So in the midst of this amazing celebration Lazarus was dead, he is now alive a party is happening And then we're told this, that as he was reclining, a woman comes with an alabaster flask of ointment. She breaks the flask and pours it over his head. And then it says the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. And I think we don't don't pick up on the reality and the, the picture of just how valuable that is. This perfume was so valuable, it is estimated to be the value of, get this, one year's worth of wages. One year's worth of wages. So here it is. Imagine this. Imagine taking what you make for one year and not spending it on anything else and then bring it to the feet of Jesus and saying, boom, broke, it's yours. Just imagine that. I mean, most of us, that's what we do. We write the check out and we rip it. <laughs> Can't cash it. <laughs> and that's kind of how we live. And that's the reality. But that's think about it. all of it at the feet of Christ. This is a Incredibly expensive perfume, and she breaks it. No turning back now. She pours it on his head. This is more extravagant extravagant worship than we could ever imagine. But here's what she's saying. She's saying, Jesus, I'm giving my whole life to you. I'm giving you the most valuable possession that I have. Here's what she's saying. Every part of my past that allowed me to get this treasure... And every part of my future that can be secured because I have this treasure, I'm giving it away to you. She is essentially, don't miss this. Don't make this about what it's not. She's essentially laying her life at the feet of Jesus. Laying it all down. In other words, here's what she's saying. Jesus, the way you have loved me and the way you have loved my family makes it easy for me to bring the most valuable possession that I have and lay it down at your feet because I know how much you love me and because I trust you. Because I trust you. What a selfless act of extravagant worship. But then John adds something. The Gospel of John says this, not only she poured on his head, she anointed the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. So to, to pour something precious that you have upon someone's feet is one thing. To wipe it with your hair is quite another. One commentator said this, Because a woman's hair is her glory, Mary was laying her glory at his feet. She was giving up her pride without respect for what others thought, and she was worshiping him, honoring him in Humility. Brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that when we come to know Jesus for who he really is, it doesn't lead us to be puffed up with pride. It leaves us humbled. It leaves us humbled that we're able to know the one who has saved us. And then we worship him. We ascribe glory to him. We honor him him not as a matter of routine we don't worship him saying this is how it's got to be it has to be this way or it's not considered worship no we don't set the the rules here god does but as we truly worship him our pride is broken the things that hold us back from worshiping him are broken and notice this notice that this amazing picture of extravagant worship did not happen at a church service it didn't happen at church it happened as This woman was living a life of thanksgiving and she encountered the one who she owed all of her thanks to. This is what a a life of worship looks like. But here's the thing, please follow with me here. Don't miss this. The other people in the room didn't get it. They didn't get it. They loved Jesus. The other, other in the room loved Jesus, they knew what he had done. But they didn't understand what Mary was doing. In their minds, how could you do this? What are you doing? We don't get it. And let me say something that I I think we need to hear. Oftentimes, what keeps God's people on Sundays, as we hear the word of God, from responding the way God is calling us to respond, is our fear of what other people are going to think. We are so fearful about what other people are going to think that we fail to do the things that God is telling us to do in that moment. I can't tell you how many times I'll preach a message and somebody will come up to me and say, I just I can't believe the altars weren't filled today. I can't believe that. And of course, I always try to make a nice response of, you know, well, people are responding. They're always responding. But I want to at times go, well, then why didn't you come down? Why didn't you come down? I mean, if, if we are sitting back going, I can't believe other people aren't responding. Maybe we should be the ones to respond. And maybe, just maybe, if we responded in obedience, maybe, just maybe, others would. Maybe, just maybe, others would go, you know what? This is a place of freedom. This is a place where people are free to do what God is calling them to do. But here's the problem, brothers and sisters. We are so worried about what that person to our right or left is going to say or think that we do nothing and I'm so thankful for people like Mary who didn't care. She didn't care. She came before Christ and said, "You're worthy of my life." Here it is. And you know what happens when we do that? Not only are we broken before Christ, but Christ begins to break chains that's keeping us from being and staying broken before him. Christ begins to break the tra- the, the chains of Fear of what other people are going to think. Or fear of doing this for the sake of what God is telling me to do. God begins to break those chains as we are broken before Him. So we are to be broken in the worship of Christ. And then lastly, so we're broken without Christ. We're to be broken in the worship of Christ. And then lastly, we are to be broken in the work of Christ. We're to be broken in the work of Christ. Think back now, we're kind of going back and forth to the Lord's Supper. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke gives us the same exact picture of what Mark gives us, except Luke includes one thing that Mark doesn't include. So Luke gives us the picture of Jesus picking up the bread, breaking it, saying, this is my body, but then Luke includes these words in Luke 22:19, 19, where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And most of us in this room, I I pray all of us in this room would agree that this statement is a reference to the ordinance of what we call the Lord's Supper or what we call communion. We take the bread and we take the cup, and as often as we partake in it, we do it in remembrance of Him. So we would all probably agree with that. We are celebrating the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ by doing it. We're doing it in remembrance of Him, And just, I think all um, conservative scholars agree that this reference is a reference to communion or to the Lord's Supper. Yet, some scholars think it goes a little deeper than that. Certainly, we are called to gather around the Lord's table and we are called to remember his broken body and his shed blood. We would all say that we are called to do that. And as often we do that, we do it in remembrance of him. But what if, what if Jesus was saying, I don't just want you together in a room, apart from the world and do something, and then walk out of that room with nothing that changes the world? What if Jesus had in mind that we meet here and we partake in communion, doing it in remembrance to him? But what if Jesus also had in mind that when we leave these doors, we live broken lives? We have our lives, allow our lives to be broken so that other people would come to see the beauty and the glory of the one that we serve. What if God is calling us to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus? What if the Bible actually says that we are called to die to ourselves daily so that his glory may be revealed in us? What if that's what the Bible says? And let me just tell you, that's what the Bible says. Um, this clear, it's true. Therefore, true life begins when we're not just living for safety, we're living for sanctification. We're living to have Christ change us. And that's not always a pretty process. It's not an easy process because Christ isn't always the easy way. But He's good. Therefore, because He's good, we say, Jesus, break me. And the reason we say that is because He made us and He's able to remake us. He's able to put us Not back together again. He's able to make a new creation of us in Christ. So when the gospel says do this, maybe perhaps Jesus wasn't just saying just do an act, which we should do, but maybe Jesus was saying allow your lives as mine was to be broken and poured out for others. In fact, even the apostle Paul said, if I am to be poured out like a drink offering... I am glad and rejoice. Just think about this. Therefore, let me just say this. Let me throw this before you today. What we're talking about, this prayer saying, God, break me, isn't just for monks and missionaries. This isn't just for the Christian varsity team. And if you're on the JV or junior high, you don't have to pray this because this is just for the varsity level Christians. No, this is, get this, basic Christianity. This is Christianity 101. 101. We are broken before Christ and we ask Him to break us. In fact, think about this. Does it sound unbiblical of us to come before God and say, God, I'm coming to you. Break me of my pride. Break me of my sin. Break me of my self-sufficiency. Break me and empty me of me. So that I may be filled with you. Does that sound unbiblical? Does that sound like something that only the most spiritual Christians should be doing? Without a doubt, no. You see, here's the reality. Jesus' body was broken. His blood was poured out. He didn't hold any back for the sake of us. And when Mary broke the jar, she poured it all out. She didn't leave a little bit back. Just in case. She poured it all broken and poured out. And let me end this morning by laying something else before all of us. Every one of us in this room and every person in this world is pouring their lives out to something every single person in this room and in this world is having their lives broken and poured out either on something or for something or for someone. So the question is not, will your life be poured out? The question is, on what or on whom will your life be broken and poured out for? You can choose to pour your life out for the pursuit of happiness and all the things the world tells you leads to happiness, or you can pour your life out for the sake of the kingdom of God. God, we need to understand the choice that's before us. I think of Nate Saint. He was a, the missionary pilot who flew Jim Elliott and three others into um, Ecuador to minister to a tribe there where all five of the missionaries were killed. Nate Saint was not as well known as others, especially Jim Elliott, but he had a heart for the Lord. And in his journal, before he was killed, obviously, um, he wrote these words. People who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. But they forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. Truth is, not only are Christians pouring out their lives, everyone is pouring out their lives. But only a few of us, only few are pouring out their lives for that which is eternal. What are we pouring our lives out for? On temporary things or on eternal things? When you look back on your life, what are you going to rejoice in having done? And let me just make you a promise. When you and I get to the end of our lives and we look back on what we um, have done, let me just tell you what you're not going to rejoice in. You're you're not gonna spend your time rejoicing in how many TV shows you finish on Netflix. You're not gonna rejoice in how much time you spent on the internet or on your phone. You're not gonna rejoice in how many football games you won or how many times your team won the championship. You're not gonna rejoice in how much money you made, how many titles you received, how many things you accumulated. There will be no rejoicing in those things because all those things will be gone in that moment. The only thing you can rejoice in in that moment is what you will have that will last forever. What you have that will last forever. And in case that does nothing for you, it should. But in case it does nothing for you and you're still waiting for me to give you some nice, good reason to ever pray this prayer. Let me let me say this. We ask God to break us because oftentimes those whom God uses the greatest are those who have been broken the deepest. Those whom God uses the greatest are those who have been broken the deepest. But let me say this. God doesn't waste your hurts. God doesn't waste any hurt or any pain that we have gone through. In fact, sometimes the life's greatest breakings lead to God's greatest blessings. Or, as J.R. Miller said, because he is able to lift earth's saddest failures up to heaven's glory. Think about it. When Jesus gave his body to be broken, his blood poured out. He gave it all. When Mary poured out this offering, she poured out her life. She gave it all. Are you and I willing, are we willing to pray, oh Lord, break me. Break me that my heart may be free to worship you. Break me that I may be free to serve you and free to love you and free to live for your glory and not for mine. I'm going to show you a prayer and this, not something we're going to pray out loud because I I don't want to act like there's magic words here, but I just want to breathe this to you and ask you, would you be willing, would you be willing to pray this kind of dangerous prayer? Would you be willing to come before God saying, God, break me because you're good. And therefore, any way that I might be broken, I will trust in your goodness. I won't run from your goodness. I won't doubt your goodness. I will trust your goodness. But do do we have the trust in him to pray, God, I know that you give grace to the humble. God, I know that. You give grace to the humble. So therefore, I humbly ask you to do a deep work in my heart. So get this. We're asking God to search us, to know our hearts, to reveal the brokenness of our hearts. And then we're saying, God, do a deep work in my heart and break me. Break me of my selfishness, Break me from anything that keeps me from knowing you. Empty me of me so that I may be filled with you. Are we willing to pray that prayer? I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the musicians, Kyle, to come forward as we enter into a time of invitation. But maybe, just maybe, you're here today. Maybe you're in that first picture. You are still broken apart from Christ. You're still broken. You're trying to put your life, you're like Humpty Dumpty, trying to put your life together again and it's only leading to more and more brokenness. Have you ever come before Christ understanding and confessing that you are a broken person in need of what He has done for you in Christ and in need of how He can put you back together or remake you into a new person? Oh to God that you would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But also think about fellow brothers and sisters in this room today, that our hearts aren't broken before Christ. We're not humbled before him. The chains of what other people think haven't been broken upon us. We're still in that bubble of, I would do it, but I'm just so afraid so-and-so might say this or, or think this or, or do this. I mean, can you imagine... Jesus in the garden saying, God, I'd love to die on the cross, but I'm just afraid of what people might think. They might just not think I'm the king. So I'm not going to do it. I mean, just imagine that. He trusted his Father, and we must as well. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we're already broken apart from you. We're nothing, God. We can't save ourselves. We need something to be done in us and for us. And we thank you, Jesus, for doing that. I pray for anyone in this room today that walked in broken apart from you that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day that they would call in the name of the Lord and be saved. That they would turn from trusting in themselves. They would turn from their sin. And they would turn in faith to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And Lord, I also, Father, pray for Christians all across this room. Whether for some reason or another, we have, we have jars, and some of our jars are all the way filled up with us. Others are halfway filled, and others are just towards the bottom, but we're saving just enough in order to keep things safe. Lord, help us to see, God, that sometimes the greatest thing that we can do is to lay our glory down at your feet for the sake of your glory. Lord, help us today, Father, whatever that is in our hands, which represents our lives, to break it out and to pour it upon you. You are worthy of our lives. You're worthy of that. Father, I pray today that you would break the chains of of broken people here, Lord, that are not doing what you're calling them to do because of their fear of other people, how other people might misunderstand, how other people might accuse them. Help us to follow the example of Mary. Lord, may this moment be about, Lord, not what other people are thinking, but about what you are telling us to do. Give us, Lord, the grace and the strength to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.